Good morning, Grace. Thank you, Karen. That uh, so blast from the past to see Karen and Dave Durst are two of the most servant-hearted people I've ever known, and no surprise to me how God's using them and their family in this church. And what an honor to be. You have no idea what an honor it is to be here today with all of you and all of you joining us online. I've been a fan of this church for many, many years. I, I served in Las Vegas for 18 years, so I was in Southern Nevada, and Pastor Dan was here in Northern Nevada, and I just feel like we had the state surrounded. And uh, I have so much respect for your pastor and for what God has done through this church. You do know you have one of the great pastors in America in this church, don't you? And he's a real gift. And this church is an inspiration to other churches and pastors and leaders around the country and the world, more so than you know. And uh, I hope you know what a, a special place you're in. Sometimes you're so close to something that you can lose the magnitude of the miracle of what God has done. And I assure you, as an outsider coming in, there's a miracle that God has done in this church, and you get to be a part of it, and uh, I hope you feel blessed by that opportunity. Now, I know uh, most of you have never heard me speak before, and I know what you're wondering right now, so I'll just get this out of the way. You're wondering, Gene, is that your real voice? Do you really sound like that? I know, I know. Uh, I, I, I'd give your audio team 100 bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White today, you know? Something like, Jesus loves you, baby. <laughs> but instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. <laughs> so I just apologize that that's what you're stuck with today. So you know a lot of kids grow up playing house, playing doctor, different games like that. I know this will sound weird, but I'm a pastor's kid, and we grew up at our house playing church. And we'd, we'd have little like play church services in the living room. I have three older sisters and they'd be the worship team. And one of my brothers would give a prayer and uh, then I'd give the sermon and then we'd hit mom or dad four or five times with the offering bucket before they realized <laughs> what was happening. It was a very profitable experience for us <laughs> growing up. And you know, a lot of years have gone by since those days of playing church and I've discovered something. I've discovered something that it's possible to play church as an adult too. Sometimes we can just get so busy going through the motions of what a church does that we forget what a church is and what it's called to be. I sometimes wear contact lenses, and a while back I was having a frustrating experience every time I put my contacts in. Everything was like fuzzy and blurry, and I'd get up in church services, and I couldn't read my sermon notes and couldn't read my Bible. And, and I don't know what prompted me to think of this, but I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this actually, but one Saturday night before Saturday night service, I thought, I wonder if somewhere along the line I've gotten my lenses switched and I'm putting the one that's supposed to go in my left eye and my right eye and the one in my right eye and my left eye. And I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to switch them around. And it was amazing how much better I could see at that point. <laughs> I saw things with such new precision and new clarity. Uh, I'd gotten my lenses switched. And I got to thinking about it that sometimes that's what happens to us in churches over time. Nobody does it intentionally, but over time, it's like we get our lenses switched. And instead of being uh, outward focused, we become inward focused. Instead of being inclusive of all people, we can sometimes become a little exclusive. Instead of reaching people who are far from God, we can make it all about ourselves. And we can get into a place where our lenses are switched and we're just kind of playing church instead of being the church. So from time to time, I need to remind myself 
What does a church look like when it's really working right? When it's really hitting on all cylinders? I think about that maybe more than you would think that I would. And one of the scriptures that I come back to time and time again is a section of scripture that I kind of want to unpack and apply today from Colossians chapter 1, which gives us a flesh and blood example, and this is a very important word I'm about to use, of a faithful church. Because that's the word that's used in the text, faithful church. So Paul addresses this church in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, and I want you to notice how he describes them. You can just see the verse on the screen, I think. To, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, interestingly, this isn't a church that Paul had founded. This isn't a church that Paul had visited and like ministered in. The only thing Paul knew about this church is based on rumor. It was based on what other people were telling him about this church. And based on those rumors, he concluded, man, this is a faithful church. And it raises the question, what made it a faithful church? Why did he put it in the faithful category? And what kind of people do we need to be if we want our church to be a faithful church? What should mark our lives so that we're not playing church, but really being the church? Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your, say this word with me, faith in Christ Jesus. He says, we have heard of your faith. It's what they were known for. You see, faithful, dynamic, spiritually empowered churches like this one are always marked, number one, by people who possess a passionate faith. A passionate faith. I think there must have been something extraordinary about the faith of the Colossians because he is so specific about it. And he says, we have heard the rumors are about your faith. Now, I've been a pastor for over 40 years. And I've noticed there are three different... Three different types of people in every church. And the first are those of you who you look at this place as McChurch. You look at Grace as kind of like you have a drive-through mentality. It's like Sunday morning, welcome to Grace Church. Can I take your order, please? Uh, yeah, I'd like a great service today. I'd like uh, inspiring worship music, a really practical message, great children's ministry for my kids. Would you like cheese on that? And you show up, and there's no real connection, there's no real commitment, there's no real involvement. It's just kind of a drive-through experience. And listen, you will never experience all that God has for you in your life if that's your mentality. You will never experience being a fully passionate follower of Jesus if that's your mentality. You've got to move to a broader, more well-rounded spiritual existence. There's a second type of person I've noticed in every church, and I call them the flu shot people. How many of you have had a flu shot? Yeah, so we know, you know, when you get the flu shot or when you get the COVID-19 vaccine, many of us have had, and, and uh, which didn't actually work out as well as we were told. But anyway, <laughs> when you get... When you get, come back, come back. When you get a flu shot, what are they giving you? They're actually giving you part of the virus, right? So that you build up the antibodies that prevent you from getting the full-blown disease. And I think there are a lot of churchgoers kind of like that who they kind of 
get their flu shot. They've got just enough of Jesus that they've got their fire insurance when they die, you know, if you know what I mean by that. <laughs> but it prevents them from getting the full-blown disease, so they throw up, show up a couple times a month, throw a couple bucks in the offering containers in the back, shape, shake a couple of hands, and they're in, and they're out. And so you've got a mild case of Christianity but not the full-blown deal. There's a third group that I've noticed in every church. And these are the people that I call the committed core. These are the people who make this church go. These are the people that you will find on their knees in prayer asking God to show up in supernatural ways. These are the people who open up their Bibles on their own and say, word of God, speak to me. These are people who are not afraid to take off their mask and get in small groups and in community with other people and say, this is who I really am and this is what's really going on. These are the people who are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and to serve in the name of Jesus and to volunteer and to give and to make this place go. These are the committed core of this church. These are not the drive-through people looking for McChurch. These are not the flu shop people looking for just enough of God that it prevents them from getting the full disease. These are the committed core of Grace Church. And to the committed core of this church, I want to say today, whether you've been here 25 years, 25 months, 25 weeks, 25 days. Thank you for showing up, for giving your best, for depending on God, for allowing him to use you day after day, year after year, serving, sacrificing, not getting weary in well-doing. This place could not exist without you. And here's what I can't wonder, I can't help but wonder right now. I wonder if some others of you are ready to say it's time. It's time for me to leave my drive-through, flu-shot spiritual ways and become a part of the committed core of this church because the world needs a strong grace church now more than ever. Friends, you're needed in this church. You're needed. You really are. Okay, a faithful church is number one, marked by people who possess a passionate faith. A second mark is people who extend an inclusive love. Notice in the last part of verse 4, Paul says, we have heard of the love you have for some of God's people. No, all of God's people. Paul says, this isn't a church with cliques where you got to meet certain criteria for who's in and who's out. This is a church that has an inclusive love. This is for all God's people. And when he says that, I just picture this church with like outstretched arms around each other where it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or Latino or young or old or blue collar or white collar or hurting or whole, that, that it's for all God's people. Now, I know many of you, you don't know me personally and uh, you don't know my family, but this is like a really fantastic, joyful era in our lives. My wife Barbara and I celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary last month. We have three kids. No, that's for Barbara, believe me. Um, we have three kids. We have three grandsons that we're nuts about. In fact, we wish we would have had the grandchildren first. <laughs> but this is a tremendously joyful and fulfilling time in both of our lives. But it was not always that way. 
Back in the 80s, both Barbara and I went through painful divorces in very similar circumstances. And um, the woman I was married to one night told me that she was in love and involved with another man. And she left the next morning, and despite relentless attempts at reconciliation, she never returned, and she married the guy. And believe me, I know. I know Grace Church, it's only by amazing grace that I'm even standing here all these years later. I'll never forget my first Christmas alone again. Some of you, you had one of those this year. And uh, we'd had our uh, Christmas Eve services at our church in Vegas, and my intent was I was going to go uh, after the services, go to a drive through get something to eat, go home, do some laundry and pack, and I was going to catch an early morning flight on Christmas Day to spend Christmas with 20 members of my family back in the Midwest. And I got away from the church that night about 9.30 after our last service, and I went down the road. There's a little chicken drive through place, and it was closed. I thought, no problem, I'll go next door. There was a Del Taco next door over there, and it was closed. What am I going to do now? I'm really getting desperate, so I decided to go to Jack in the Box, which was about a mile away, and drive over to Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box was closed. Oh, this was weird. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? I'll go to my supermarket. They're open 24 hours a day. I'll get something from the deli. I go to my supermarket, and they're closed. I had never seen, you know, Vegas, the city that never sleeps. So quiet. And now I'm starting to feel sorry for myself. Ever do that, you know, start have a pity party. Poor me, you know, and everybody's having their nice little Christmas gatherings around their tree, and here I'm all by myself. But I was hungry and determined to find something to eat. So I drove out to the east edge of Las Vegas where there's a country western-themed casino called Sam's Town. And to my surprise, when I pulled up, the place was hopping. Parking lot was jamming. Walked into the casino. Lots of people, you know, playing slot machines and the video poker machines and the table games. And I go up to the second story. There was a 50-style diner named Mary's Diner. Sat down at a table for four all by myself. And I remember thinking, this is like a bad dream. I can't believe it. I just spoke for thousands of people. And here I am at Samstown on Christmas Eve eating the blue plate special of meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy. And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody put a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis started singing in my ear, Are you lonesome tonight? Your sympathy's very meaningful to me, by the way. <laughs> Not sure this should be called Grace Church. I, I don't know. I started laughing to myself, probably to keep from crying. And the thought that just overwhelmed me was, Gene, here you are, one of the most blessed guys in the world. You've got a church family that has stood with you through thick and thin. You've got more friends, close friends, than should be legally allowed to have. You're flying home in the morning to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of your family. And if you of all people can be lonely tonight, can you imagine how difficult this night is for those who don't have anybody? And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit shot a dart right into my heart that night. And I'm, as I'm walking out of the casino and watching all these people, this thought hit me. They don't have anywhere else to go tonight either. Why else would they be here on Christmas Eve? Friends, we've got to possess an inclusive kind of love because I can guarantee you right now, sitting in this room right now, all throughout Reno in the area, there are people who are hurting. There are people who are struggling just to hang on to their marriage right now. There are people struggling to hang on to their sobriety right now. There are people who are struggling 
to hang on to their emotional equilibrium after all we've been through the last two years. There are people struggling to hang on in the midst of an illness, and they're just tired. There are single people, divorced people, widowed people sitting here right now who will walk out to their cars today and see couples or families getting in their SUVs or minivans, and it's just going to hurt a little bit. There are people who've been battling an illness for a long time, and they're just tired, and they're worn out. There are parents who are struggling to hang on while they've got some sons and daughters that are breaking their hearts. There are people who are struggling to hang on financially right now. They're, they're, they want to hang on to their business one more month. They want to hang on to their house one more month. They want to hang on to their car one more month. Friends, God needs churches that will extend an inclusive love for needy people, for hurting people, for wounded people like Gene Apple. God needs churches with an inclusive love that don't care where people have been and the mistakes they've made in their past, but only where they are headed today in the power of Jesus Christ. So as we read on in our text, we find that a faithful church is marked thirdly by people who share a dynamic message. Verse 5 talks about the word of truth, Paul says, and he calls it the gospel that has come to them. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, the gospel that has come to you is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it, is, it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and you truly understood God's grace. You see, the gospel is a dynamic message of Jesus Christ, and he says it's growing. It's producing fruit. It's amazing how powerful the message, the simple message of the God who loved us so much he died as a substitute for our sins on a cross and was buried and rose again and is alive today. How that simple message, when it's communicated in a way that people can connect with it and is sensitive to their lives, how it changes lives. It was happening in Colossae. It was happening all over the world, Paul says. It has happened in many of your lives. It is happening in this church. And let me tell you, when you share that message faithfully in like culturally sensitive ways that people can understand it, it produces two things in a church. Number one, you've experienced a little of this at this church. It produces a growing church. Most commentators agree that when Paul talks about the gospel bearing fruit, he's talking about an ever-increasing number of people becoming followers of Jesus. And friends, this is why I never worry, and you should never worry, if the church is getting too big. My guess is something Pastor Dan has heard over many years at different times, because I've heard it over the years at many different times, is, hey, you know, don't you think the church is big enough now? This church is just too big. It's, it's gargantuan. It's huge. That always tickles me a little bit because let me ask you ladies, how many of you have ever said, you know, I'm just never going to that mall again because it is just too big. <laughs> that place is just overwhelming. Or how many of you guys have said, no, I'm going to take a pass on those uh, tickets on the 50-yard line to watch the, the Wolf Pack, you know, out at Mackey because, man, that stadium, it's gargantuan. It's just too big. You know what? Uh, church that loves Jesus Christ as in has a population base around it like you do here in Reno should be big 
because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if not, something's wrong. Do you know another complaint I've heard over the years that, I, I don't know, I just bet Pastor Dan has heard this too. The traffic is such a pain. The parking lot is, I mean, walking down the steps, taking the shuttle van. Oh man, it's just so awful. Do you know what I have to say about that? Yay, God, I hope it always is that way. Because when God is at work, and changing lives, you can't keep people away. I live in Anaheim, California, home of the Angels baseball team. I go to a few games every year. I watch 60, 70,000 people who walk in from the parking lot with a spring in their step, knowing they're going to sit on hard seats about this, you know, like this close to each other, and they're going to eat overpriced junk food, and they're going to watch grown sweaty men take a stick and swing at a sphere about this big, and they pay a lot of money to do that. And they not only don't complain about the parking lot, they go early to party in the parking lot. They hang out in the parking lot. They love the parking lot. But those same people, when they come to church, they moan and groan and complain. I can't believe it. I got to walk 300 feet from my car to the church. <laughs> what do you want? You want to walk into a half-empty parking lot and walk into a half-empty building and hear a message that's half-empty? Is that what you want? Friends, when God is at work, lives are changing. Whenever I meet somebody that... that like thinks their church is big enough now, it tells me one thing about them. They don't rub shoulders enough with people who are lost and far from God. Because when you do, God keeps them right in front of you. And it affects how you pray. And it affects how you build relationships and the conversations you have. And it affects how you invite and how you give and how you serve. It affects how you plan church services. It affects how you preach God just keeps them right there. Friends, the problem is not that the church is getting too big. The problem is that hell is getting too big and too many people are going there. 176,000 people die in our world every 24 hours, one every three seconds. Most are dying without the Son of God in their life. Never once in Scripture do we find a church being instructed to pull back or slow down or to be satisfied because they've reached some new miracle accomplishment of some kind. The mandate is to always go and make disciples because faithful churches share a dynamic transformational message. The dynamic message of the gospel not only produces a growing church, but I also sense this in this church. It produces a joyful church. This is a happy place. And isn't it always true when you lose something that's valuable and you find it? you celebrate, you rejoice. When lost people find Jesus, it produces rejoicing. My oldest sister, Gloria, never had good luck with the diamond ring that her uh, husband gave her when they first got engaged. We have a family cabin in northern Minnesota where we're always vacation, and she lost it while they were on vacation one year up there. So we searched high and low for that ring, and her husband was like, I can't understand it. It's such a large diamond. It should." We were like, yeah, right. And... Uh, we didn't find it. Three years go by. We're out raking the yard one day, and up pops Gloria's ring. And let me tell you, there was much rejoicing. She was like unbelievably excited and celebrating. Well, a few years later, they were visiting me. This is when I was living in Vegas. They were visiting me in Vegas, and this is back in the days when I was a bachelor pastor before Barbara and I got married. And, and um, 
they lived in southern Indiana, and after they had gone back home, she called me, and she said, Gina, can't believe it, but I've lost my diamond ring again. She goes, I might have lost it at your house, and so I looked high and low. I couldn't find it anywhere. About three months later, I was changing the sheets on the bed that they had slept in. I never got in a hurry about that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, I pulled the bedspread back, and there laying right on top of the blanket was Gloria's diamond ring. And I called her, and I'm telling you, like, AT&T has never been the same, because she was shouting and rejoicing. When the lost is found, there is much rejoicing. And friends, if you have forgotten how dynamic the simple message of the gospel of Jesus is, just get around some freshly redeemed people, and you will rejoice and celebrate. Now, Paul knew that being faithful in the church is challenging, and there are discouraging times. There are times you want to quit. There are times you want to give up. And those are the times that, lastly, a faithful church needs to be marked by people who cling to a motivating hope. Where did this passionate faith, where did this inclusive love of the Colossians come from? Paul tells us, verse 5. He says, they spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Whenever we get discouraged, whenever we feel like throwing in the towel, whenever we feel like being unfaithful in the church, Paul says, we need to think about our hope. Sometimes, often in Scripture, it's called the blessed hope of heaven. I love to go home, don't you? Like, there's no door I'd rather walk through than the front door of our house. There's no coffee I'd rather drink than out of my mug. There's no table I'd rather eat at than our kitchen table. There's no bed I'd rather sleep in than my bed. I love to go home, and it's that thought of going home that makes heaven so attractive to me. When I was 14 years old, I was out fishing with my dad and grandfather and uh, up where our family vacations in northern Minnesota on a lake. And my dad had a massive heart attack. Four days later, his condition worsened and it became necessary to transport him from the little hospital he was at in a little town called Park Rapids, Minnesota, to the big hospital 90 miles away in Fargo, North Dakota. So all the family went to Fargo to wait for the ambulance to arrive, except my brother Mike and I, we went back to our family cabin where we were packing and gathering some things, and then we were going to go meet the rest of the family in Fargo. So we're back at the cabin, and I'll never forget it. I see my dad's best friend, a familiar car, drive up the road. And he gets out of the car, and he walks over to my brother Mike and I. He puts one arm around me just like this, and one arm around my brother Mike just like this, and he said, Boys, I've got some good news and some bad news for you today. He said, the good news is your daddy's gone to heaven today. And the bad news is he isn't with us any longer. Friends, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be home. I can't wait to see my dad again. I can't wait to see my beautiful mama who we buried last summer. I can't wait to see my oldest sister, Gloria, who left us way too soon with an illness. Being faithful in the church cost us a lot. It cost us emotionally. It cost us physically. It cost us financially. It cost us spiritually. Sometimes it's just spiritually draining. So when you feel like throwing in the towel, cling to the motivating hope 
the blessed hope of heaven, our home. Now, before I close, I want to say a word about your pastor. Very few people here today understand the pressures of being a pastor of a megachurch like Grace Church, maybe other than me. But I can tell you from day one of a pastor's ministry, most pastors secretly wonder, can God use somebody like me with all my faults and mistakes and limitations? And can I lead and can I shepherd adequately? And, and, and will people respond? And then later, as a church starts to move forward, you know, then you start wrestling with, well, is our vision really from God? Or are we too far out on the limb of faith is this foolishness or is this really faith in God and 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 what's the fine line between all of that and we pastors wrestle with this more than you think we would and, and while all that's going on there's a marriage to build into and a family who needs to be raised and there are funds that have to be raised and buildings to build and there's a church staff to lead and sermons to prepare and broken people to comfort and naughty folks to straighten out and children leading an insurrection in the nursery and weddings to perform and funerals to conduct. Very, very few people appreciate the challenge of being a pastor of a church like Grace Church. And I'm sure Pastor Dan and Judy along the way have had some dark nights of the soul throughout the course of their decades of service to this church. But they're still here, didn't cave in, didn't bail out, didn't quit on God. They're still standing. They're still married. They've got a family that's nuts about them. They've got a vital faith. They have clung to their motivating hope that is stored up for them in heaven. And I just, and I know you probably do too, want to honor them today for being faithful in this church for over three decades. Their gift. So Paul had never been to Colossae. Everything he knew about this church was based on rumor, what other people were saying. And do you know what I wonder? I wonder if people were to hear rumors about Grace Church a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. What kind of rumors are they gonna hear about you? My hope and prayer is that they'll hear rumors about people who possess a passionate faith people who extend inclusive love, no matter who the people are, people who share a dynamic message that changes lives for all eternity, and people who cling to a motivating hope. But it's not up to me. It's up to you. Because faithful churches are marked by individuals who collectively make up a church family. And so may we be like those first 12 crazy followers of Jesus. Stephen Curtis Chapman recalls, nobody stood and applauded them for they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was Jesus had called to them. He said, come follow me and they came. With reckless abandon, they came. 
May we join with them and say, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call. Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful till he comes. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. God, my prayer is very simple today. My prayer is that you would keep your hand on this great church, that you would keep your hand on their pastor and his wife as they walk through their own challenging times. And God, my prayer is that Grace Church will always be known as a faithful church full of people who possess passionate faith and loved inclusively like you have loved us and who share the most important message in the world with people who need to hear it and who never give up on the hope that is waiting for them in heaven. And I ask it today in Christ's name and for his sake. And everybody said, amen. Love you, Grace. It's an honor to be with you today.